The views, opinions, and comments expressed by hosts, guests, and callers of this show are not necessarily those of this station, its parent company, TeleSouth Media, its staff, management, or advertisers. Content of this broadcast cannot be duplicated or used in any way without the express written consent of TeleSouth Media Incorporated. Now, join us for Advisors Roundtable with your hosts, certified financial planners, Greg Cooley and Bubba Labus. It's professional advice for your life. Welcome to the Advisors Roundtable, certified financial planners, Greg Cooley and Bubba Labus with you here on Super Talk Radio. Thanks for hanging in there with us. You know, Bubba, sometimes in this life, we have to have difficult conversations. And sometimes it seems like the things that we say to people, we're almost like on autoplay. You know, mm-hmm. there are certain responses to certain questions or circumstances that seem to come up pretty consistently in a lot of people's lives. I, 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 so I, I kind of resonate with this. Uh, <laughs> you know, many people are probably unaware, but uh, we, we purchased a, a new home recently mm-hmm. and uh, been under, under the process of renovating and doing upgrades and that sort of thing before we move in. And I get the question all the time. Mm-hmm. When are you moving in? All right. And I've got a standard answer. Two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been saying two weeks since well, last three July. You know? <laughs> All right. So yeah. well, where'd you learn that response from your contractor? <laughs> well, no. So there was this movie called The Money Pit That's starring right. Tom Hanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the contractor it. always said two, two weeks. weeks. Two, two weeks, weeks, two, two weeks, weeks. Yeah, two so weeks. My, my standard answer here lately has been two weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, how close are you, really? Uh, yeah, probably two, two weeks. weeks. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a, little, a little comfort in that mm-hmm. because whoever you're asking, it seems like you've thought about it and you do have a definite end in yeah. mind and it's right there within reach. But on the other hand, if it stretches a little more than that, it, uh, they, they can't uh, say you lie. Or, you know, they, they really feel like that you felt legitimate in saying oh, two yeah. weeks. Well, and, and so the other aspect of that is my wife, Kimberly, um, who I always uh, say that she has a poor negative attitude all the time. <laughs> You know, she says, oh, be realistic. It's going to be, you know, such and such date when we're able to move in. And I said, well, you know, maybe it wouldn't if you had a better attitude and had positive thoughts about it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Two weeks yeah. sounds really yeah, good exactly. when you say that yeah. it's going to be, uh, yeah. you know. Four months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fourth of July or mm-hmm. something. But sometimes in a construction thing, they say it'll be Halloween, mm-hmm. and then it'll be Thanksgiving. You'll be in by yeah. Christmas. Mm-hmm. First of the year, we're shooting for the first yep. of the year, mm-hmm. and then it becomes thanks or, or Valentine's Day and you know yep. spring break. Right. But you do feel like that there is an end in sight. That there's light at the end of the tunnel, and it may be a freight train bearing down on me, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yes, I, I feel like it, it will be soon. So in our business, there are a number of responses that I seem like I'm giving, like your two weeks, to people all the time. Here's one to, to this. Bubba, I just want a respectable 7 or 8% return mm-hmm. and no risk. No risk, yep. And my response is... You can't have it. Yeah. It ain't there. Mm-hmm. 
It never has been. And the, and the famous words of Thornton Mellon in the movie uh, Back to School, who mm-hmm. was portrayed by Rodney Dangerfield, mm-hmm. maybe you can have that in fantasy land, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we all want that, uh-huh. right? Uh, you just think about it. If you're driving down the road and you're listening to the advisor's roundtable and somebody says, uh, 7 or 8% return with yeah. no risk. Yeah. You'd sign up for and, that. So in order to better define that, mm-hmm. what would you call that? The risk-free rate of return? Well, that's what I'd want. At so, 7 or 8%. So the current risk-free rate of return is probably mm. somewhere around 1%. Yeah. One and a quarter percent. Maybe. Maybe a little bit higher, you know, with rates coming up a little bit the way they have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interest because, rates have come up and I mean, money markets and tips are, you know, are attractive but again. There, there but, is still risk associated with some of those rates of return, uh-huh. right? Even if you buy a government bond. Mm-hmm. There is risk associated with that. Yeah, and when people whether are it be you know duration you. risk or interest rate sensitivity risk, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. yeah, and what that basically means is you know you buy a bond and you feel pretty confident you're going to get your ten thousand dollars back. Let's say you put ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars in there and they're going to give you three percent, but if the Fed goes up on interest rates again, which we anticipate, right? then is your 3% attractive anymore if Daddy Warbucks over there can get four? No. No. So even though you're going to get your $10,000 back, you feel mm-hmm. pretty confident about that. In the right. middle, you're going to see your statement that shows mm-hmm. your $10,000 is now worth 9875 or Correct. whatever. Right? Yeah. Correct. B- because it's not as attractive as the mm-hmm. new 4% one, so people are not... Very few people are going to buy your 3%. That's right. So it's not like you're mm-hmm. really concerned about getting your money back. But in the meantime, that fluctuation of the value, if you had a catastrophe and needed your $10,000, interest rates yep. had gone up, you may not get the whole thing back. Mm-hmm. So the risk-free rate of return ain't no 7 or 8%. That's right. Never has been. Mm. Now, in fantasy land, that's what we would sure. like. Yeah. So how am I going to get 7 or 8% over time? Well, you take risk. Ooh. Yeah. yeah and, and when, you, well, you, you don't necessarily take risk. You accept risk. You accept risk. Mm-hmm. So you would say, hey, you know, if you want 7 or 8% over time, you're probably not uh, the kind of person that needs to be thinking about a one-year thing you you probably need to be thinking over a market cycle Mm -hmm. or five to ten years and there may be a bucket of investments that you could do that over Mm -hmm. time has averaged that but in the meantime it's going to go up and it's going to go down very few people really want the downside no right no we don't want to accept that mm-hmm. and we gotta we, we almost feel like we have to blame somebody mm-hmm. you know there's got to be somebody to blame yep. that my ten thousand dollar bond went mm-hmm. down well the market circumstances yeah. the fed pick somebody the president the congressman <laughs> your yeah. financial advisor yeah we, yeah. we got to have somebody yeah. your brother-in-law oh, yeah. oh yeah. yeah the one that told us mm-hmm. we, that's where you need to be these days sure. right mm-hmm. but very few of them are, are going to be risk less risk free mm-hmm. um and um you know i have to say all the time you just can't get that we'd all love it right because it's seven or eight percent, that means that my money's going to double mm-hmm. every ten years or less, and you know most of us would like that. Just yep. put it in there, and never see it fluctuate. Mm-hmm. But um, 
That's not the real world. So we're going to go to break, and when we come back from break, we're going to continue to talk about some of these responses that we have to give to people that not necessarily what they want to hear from the Advisors Roundtable on Supertalk. Thank you for hanging in there with us at the Advisors Roundtable on Supertalk Radio with certified financial planners Bubba Labus and yours truly, Greg Cooley. So, Bubba, here's another response I find myself giving to people all the time. You got a whole lot of investments, but very little diversification. Now, yeah. how is that possible? You look at somebody's statement, they got four or five different mutual funds. Mm-hmm. You would think with four or five different mutual funds, there are a whole lot of investments in each fund, right? Mm-hmm. So you'd think I'm diversified. Yeah. How in the world could I say that to somebody? You got a lot of investments, very little diversification. This is a very easy one to explain, and and I'd like to explain it in the in the terms of overlap. Right? Overlap. Okay. Overlap. So, right. what are the underlying investments in those mutual funds? All right. And how many of those underlying investments are the same in the in the the mutual fund next door to it? Right. Okay. So, for instance, uh, you know, in this particular case, uh, and I've seen it like this before as well, you've got somebody who comes in and shows you their statement, and they say, I'm diversified. I've got five mutual funds. And all five mutual funds are large-cap, mega-growth mutual funds, right? Well, I'm American. Yeah. And right. I want American stocks. Mm-hmm. So, when and, I tell my advisor that, or I call yeah. up Vanguard and say that, mm-hmm. They've only got a certain number of right. of, of funds to put me in, mm-hmm. right? Correct. And most of those funds are going to have McDonald's and, Mc, and Coca-Cola and Walmart and that sort of thing. Well, and, it, and it's going to be, you know, your, your big-time players, right, that you mm-hmm. typically see. And you can almost look at a list of the S&P 500 and the top companies there. Mm-hmm. Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Tesla, mm-hmm. and they're going to be the top 10 holdings in just about every one of those five different mutual funds. Mm-hmm. So you really don't have any diversification. All right. So if somebody is listening to me yeah. and they're like, you know what, I need e- to. Even worse, mm-hmm. let's say, for instance, that they own an, an exchange. They, they say, well, I'm really diversified because I own a mutual fund and an exchange-traded fund. Mm-hmm. And they're both S&P 500 funds. <laughs> It's the same thing that you own. Yeah. yeah. I think because one of them's T. Rowe Price and the other one's Vanguard mm-hmm. that I'm diversified. Yeah. So just because I have a whole lot yeah, of and investments. And whether Vanguard or T. Rowe Price, the S&P 500 is the S&P is, 500. Yeah. Or, you know, large cap American mm-hmm. mega companies right. are all on the same list at both investment houses. Correct. So I can have a lot of investments and not necessarily be diversified. And if I hear Bubba talking about that on the radio mm-hmm. and I think, oh, I, well, I want to fix that. Let's say in your 401k, you've been putting money in your 401k mm-hmm. for 20 years and you got over $100,000 in there and you have five or six uh, of the funds available mm-hmm. that you have chosen in there. And then you hear this thing on the radio about a lot of investments and not a lot of diversification mm-hmm. and you start looking at it. And by and large, they were right, those two crazy guys on the radio. Mm -hmm. How do I fix it inside my 401k? I want some diversification, Bubba. Um, So luckily with 401ks, you've got a a little bit of over, well, I don't want to call it overlap. 
You've got oversight on the investment selection within 401ks. Okay. So it's unlikely that you're going to have a whole lot of overlap Mm -hmm. in funds like that. But you very well could, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Case in point, the S&P 500. You might have an S&P 500 fund, Mm -hmm. and you may have a large cap growth fund. Basically the same thing. And you can look at the top 10 holdings on both, and they're going to be very, very similar, very, very close, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's where I was getting back to that overlap Absolutely. category. Yeah. Right? So in my 401k, mm-hmm. how do I fix that? I, I can probably fix it for free. Yeah, absolutely. Log yeah. into mm-hmm. there and say I got twenty percent in mm-hmm. this large cap growth thing, but yep. also and have another twenty percent in the S and P. All right. So what do right. I do? Well, I, it, it, then you need to have a, a conversation with your health, yourself mm-hmm. and say, you know, am I a, a proponent or a believer in active management mm-hmm. or in passive management? No, what's the a, difference? A whole different conversation that we've got to have. Well, now, we right? got to go down this road, yeah. so All let's right. do it. So passive management, uh, you would have a list of investments or stocks in that particular fund. Mm-hmm. And you're going to buy them and you're going to hold on to them. Okay. Okay. Right. Active management basically means that there's an, a manager or an active, actively managed account where they're buying and selling what they think is going to do well within that particular category. Okay. All right. So, you know, active uh, it, by its nature mm-hmm. sounds like there's going to be a lot more activity sure. associated with that as opposed to passive. Okay. I'm not saying that either one is right or wrong. And in, uh, in fact, I would argue that in some cases, it, I like one over the other. Yeah, or I like both of them equally well. And I like both of them equally well. Okay. Yeah. All right. So if I'm looking at this in my 401k, and let's say mm-hmm. that I'm into active management, yep. but I want diversification, mm-hmm. what would you tell me if you're looking over my shoulder when I've logged into my 401k account? I, I really like the target date funds and the uh, life cycle type funds okay. uh, within 401ks. All right. uh, because for many people, uh, it, 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 a 401k can't be everything to everybody all at once, but it can be most of everything for most people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you choose one of these target date funds or life cycle funds or, or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to get your diversification that they're going to do that and it's going to be, be actively managed for you because when you choose the 2040 fund mm-hmm. which says that i intend to try to retire somewhere close to 2040 mm-hmm. which is about 16 17 18 years from yeah, now you shouldn't have said that greg yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, math is yeah. what the math is a lot right? of people still think that 1990 was 10 years ago <laughs> yeah you know 30, right. <laughs> more than uh-huh. 30. And, and so we start looking at that, and uh, I'm, that sounds like a pretty good target date for me. I'm in my early to mid-40s, mm-hmm. 16, 17, 18 years. I might want to retire by then. Yep. And so if I choose that target date, mm-hmm. the managers, the custodians, the people who are doing that fund for me are not only actively managing it, they are supposed to be diversifying it for me. And changing the percentages and allocations over time. Okay. So as you get a little bit older or closer to that date, Mm -hmm. typically it gets more and more conservative towards that date Mm -hmm. because you don't want the volatility later on as you're getting closer to retirement. Okay. Because you've got a longer-term time horizon now, Mm -hmm. 15 to 17 years, Mm -hmm. you can stomach a little bit more volatility, meaning that it's going to be a little bit more... Um, ups and downs, so to speak. Now, for full disclosure mm-hmm. here, I'm not just going to own big American companies in that thing. No, you're not. 
Give me a description of what I'm probably going to own in the 2040 fund. So along with the big American companies, you're going to own the medium-sized American companies, the small-sized American companies. Ones I've never heard of? Ones you've never heard of. You know, but at one time, people had never heard of Microsoft or Apple, you know? That's true. When Bill Gates' dad was telling him he was crazy, Mm -hmm. nobody had ever heard of that thing. That's right. You're going to own international companies. Mm-hmm. There, there's you know outside of the borders or the parameters of the United States of America, there are many other companies out there that make money every year. Uh, gotcha. uh, you're going to own emerging market uh, companies. Mm-hmm. So, what is an emerging market? Right. Well, it's, uh, I would call it developing markets. Okay. Uh, India, mm-hmm. China, mm-hmm. Uh, Korea mm-hmm. is known, and very big companies in Korea, for instance, and in China. You know, you look at Alibaba, you look at uh, Samsung, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, you name it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you're going to have different sizes of companies, whether they're uh, international or global or American. Now, if I do this Mm -hmm. and my manager in there, I'm going to pick on one here, not advocating it, just trying to fully explain. If I buy... into this target date fund and they've got some of this international stuff and they own some Samsung. Okay. Is my money going to South Korea or am I buying it out of the market and Samsung might not even know I've got some of that. Yeah. Samsung is probably not going to know that you're an owner of their shares. So explain that dynamic to me because i know there are people before mm-hmm. maybe somebody yeah. who is strong as a strong personality in their life told them you don't need to right. own any of that when there's a public offering of stock mm-hmm. is generally or when uh, a company will get the shares or the proceeds of that all right so a new company or they're going to issue shares say it's samsung uh-huh. samsung issues stock mm-hmm. and then upon that initial offering of stock and i buy in and you buy in right that's when the money or the proceeds go to samsung right after that samsung doesn't really care you know their stock is out there floating on the market buying and selling so between, tomorrow i could sell it yeah. to you mm-hmm. samsung they don't know you bought. but that's a transaction between me and you so not the money came to me an american citizen and you an american citizen correct. bought this company mm-hmm. that's in south korea correct but they don't know mm-hmm. i'm not you're not necessarily sporting the south korean government or right. what they do with their money or whatever mm-hmm. you're just buying this as an investment correct so do you morally have an issue with owning com- um, companies that are in countries that are not necessarily democratic? Or uh, do, do you see that uh, some people would have problems with that? I can see that some people would have problems with it, but they mm-hmm. need to look a little bit closer, a little deeper, and into what they the own and understand the transaction and, and what's actually occurring. Right. Because you may be yeah. buying or yeah. selling it from another American. Correct. Right, mm-hmm. not necessarily doing it to with somebody from right. another country. Right. All right. So this diversification thing is it that big a deal? Yes, it is. Yeah, there there are uh, um, Nobel prizes that have gone uh, and been awarded for diversification and what diversification does for an overall portfolio, mm-hmm. long term investment horizons and ex- expectations and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. yes, diversification is very very important. So that point that we made Mm -hmm. about you having a whole lot of investments but not necessarily be diversified is true 
And you may need to look into it or have somebody look over your shoulder and help you with that from the Advisors Roundtable here at Super Talk Radio. We're going to continue into the next segment with some of these things that we may not necessarily want to hear, but we need to. Welcome back to the Advisors Roundtable. Certified Financial Planners, Cooley and Labus with you here talking to you about some of the things that um, we have to be made aware of that we don't necessarily want to uh, or maybe we've never thought about. Here's one. On the whole, the concept of investing is kind of simple. Buy low, sell high. Yeah. Okay. However, you got taxes. Mm-hmm. And taxes can make that concept complicated. Yes. All right. The I, other... Go ahead. I, w- I was going to mention this in the last segment, mm-hmm. but uh, it kind of comes... Uh, not necessarily down to diversification. It, it would fall almost in that category, mm-hmm. but the types of assets that you own, mm-hmm. right, in certain types of accounts. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give an example here, right? Mm-hmm. An IRA account. And inside that IRA, yep. I can do it at the bank and put it in a money market or a CD, yeah, right? Can. I can do it over at the insurance mm-hmm. guy and put it in an annuity. Correct. I can go to the stockbroker and put it in stocks, mm-hmm. bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, or whatever. Right. I can actually call the 800 number on the television and put it in gold bonds. Sure you can. Right? Sure you can. Yep. So an IRA can be lots and lots of invested in a yep. lot of things. Yeah. Individual retirement account. Self-directed individual retirement account, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this a couple of times. Um, mute, municipal bonds, by their nature, mm-hmm. have tax-free income payments for their dividends or interest that are paid on those those instruments. Whether they're in an IRA or you just buy them straight from the Correct. city. Correct. Okay. Okay. So you've got a an, an IRA mm-hmm. that has never been taxed and will be taxed one day, right? Mm-hmm. And inside that IRA, does it make any sense to have municipal bonds mm-hmm. within that? Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. not. You know, but it depends on the rate of return and the municipality, all that kind of stuff. For diversification, all that stuff. But from a tax perspective, it makes zero sense mm-hmm. to have a municipal bond inside of an IRA. So if I decided, Bubba, I'm going to own some municipal yeah. bonds, mm-hmm. big boy. Right. And you said, okay, if you want to own $10,000 mm-hmm. worth of municipal bonds, and you got $100,000 mm-hmm. in your IRA, we're going to do other things there, and we'll take the money that you're investing outside mm-hmm. your IRA and put that in a municipal bond. Correct. Is that what you're saying? I am. And the whole basis and premise of your decision was based on? A tax consideration. All right. And that tax consideration is what? Explain to me how and why a municipal bond doesn't necessarily mean. Go over that again. So if you own a municipal bond outside of a retirement account, Mm -hmm. the interest payments on that municipal bond are typically going to be tax-free to you. Already. Already. Yeah. Right? So why put it in? So why put it into an account Mm -hmm. that you're going to owe tax on one day? Yeah. 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 You get no benefit out of owning the municipal bond from a tax perspective mm-hmm. inside the IRA. Right. And I've and I've seen individuals who own municipal bonds within their IRAs. Right. I'm like, why'd you do this? Uh-huh. You know? Well, now it, it very well may be that uh, it's a highly rated municipal bond and it has a pretty good interest rate, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. but still 
Uh, you can probably get something similarly rated, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's going to be taxable to you, mm-hmm. or could be, but save me taxes. But now. save, but get a higher yield mm-hmm. inside the IRA. Right, right. So there are a lot of mm-hmm. reasons, and that, that, that's one small nuance, right? That of, I brought up of taxes, of taxation and, and within investments. different, and yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, you took this fairly simple thing. Mm-hmm. I I want to buy something now, and I want it to be worth more later. Mm-hmm. Investing. And made it complicated because of taxes. That's right. And that's just one example. That's just one example. There are lots of other reasons that mm-hmm. taxes can affect a financial mm-hmm. decision, especially yeah. an investment, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are annuities and mm-hmm. all the ways and nuances that yeah. they're taxed or not. I, so I'm going to introduce another uh, term here mm-hmm. since we're kind of going down this avenue, tax mm-hmm. drag. Okay. All right. right. So tax drag would be considered or almost defined as the negative impact or negative effects of a particular investment based on the taxability of that investment. And the perfect example of that is when Daddy Warbucks Phil over here, our executive Mm -hmm. producer, goes and says, man, I can get 3% on my CDs. Mm -hmm. Does he really get 3%? No. Because that's seen as ordinary income to him, and he needs to pay tax on that. So if he's in the 30% tax mm-hmm. bracket, he's paying almost 1% of it. Correct. So he's really only getting 2%. 2%. Right. And that 30% was a drag on that 3% he thinks he's getting, it's right? Sure it was. Sure. Do you have to explain this to people uh, sometimes, and they're like, oh my God. Goodness. Well, and and they want you know wonder why does it have to be so complicated? <laughs> yeah, and I, I, you know talk to the the folks up in Washington D.C. They're the ones that do the tax code. Yeah, very mm-hmm. few of us even know the term tax drag, Bubba. Right. But here you are bringing it up. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. <laughs> and it, and it seems you you just instantly depressed me. Right. But isn't it part of the calculation of what my net return is? It's part of the the calculation of what the net return is and also uh, part of the determination on what types of assets you own in particular types of accounts. Okay. Go go ahead and and, and Uh, Well, uh, again, getting back back to the municipal Mm -hmm. bond, Mm -hmm. right, Mm -hmm. inside the IRA. Does it make sense to have a municipal bond in the IRA? Mm -hmm. Generally, no. Probably not. Right? Right. Uh, Does it make sense to have a municipal bond inside of a normal, you know, Mm -hmm. individual retire or, I mean, individual Mm -hmm. uh, investment account? Right. It may. So if somebody comes Mm -hmm. to you this afternoon and they say, I have Mm $100,000 in my IRA, that I left a former employer, and here it is, and I've got a hundred thousand dollars that Grandma left me. Mm-hmm. From your point of view, do you see those hundred thousand dollars? It's a hundred thousand U.S. dollars. So, ain't it the same? Um, it it's almost the same, but there are different <laughs> tax categories, right? Right. I'm going to throw it back to you okay. and, and ask this question, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got $100,000 that's an IRA mm-hmm. uh, and then $100,000 that was inherited mm-hmm. from, from grandmother mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. or whoever. Right. What are the the best types of investments to go in each account? Well, you would think they'd just be equal. You would think so, but not necessarily. They're not. They're not. So um, along that same vein, mm-hmm. right, when mm-hmm. we talk about diversification for clients, right? Um, 
it's important for the advisor to know, even if you have other accounts elsewhere, so that you're not duplicating. Uh, and part of that is that overlap thing, too, with owning all exactly. these investments and not being diversified. Exactly. Right. So, you know, and I, real recently, I had somebody come in and say, well, you know, I use multiple advisors because I want to be diversified. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, do you share the other investments that the other advisors are using with all your advisors? And how are you coordinating uh, that, right? Uh, because advisor number one may be doing the exact same thing as advisor number two. Advisor number three may be doing something totally different than the first two. Mm-hmm. And you may be leaving out a number of different things that you mm-hmm. ought to own anyway. Uh, so diversification mm-hmm. can be held in one account. Correct. You don't have to have multiple accounts to have diversification. That's right. But part of the consideration for this is the tax effect of mm-hmm. various investments. Right. So if somebody comes in this afternoon, they got $100,000 in the IRA and $100,000 mm-hmm. over in the account that they inherited from grandma, if we did some municipal mm-hmm. bonds, it would be in the $100,000 you, in, you inherited right. from grandma. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. right. And if you did something that creates a lot of taxes every year, Mm -hmm. would we probably put that one over in the IRA? Correct. So simple stuff like Mm -hmm. buying low and selling high can be made complicated by the tax effect of the various accounts. Sure. Or the various investments themselves. Mm -hmm. Because you asked a question a while ago about passive and uh, active. active, And I said, well, maybe Mm -hmm. you need to have a little bit of both. Right. Would you put the passive maybe over in the account that might have taxes on it every year and the active over in the account that's going to diversify or or delay? You very well may. Mm. I'm going to hit one other topic real quick. Mm -hmm. um, And I'm going to talk about annuities. Okay. So annuities are an investment product mm-hmm. put together by insurance companies, mm-hmm. right? And by their nature, they've got certain tax benefits associated with them. Okay. Generally, you've got penalties if you take them out prior uh, money out prior to age fifty nine and a half. You've mm-hmm. got tax deferral in those accounts, very similar to an IRA, but a little bit different, right? Okay. okay. So why would you put an annuity inside of an IRA? Or use IRA dollars to purchase an annuity. Uh, right? Almost the same reasoning as that municipal bond thing you're talking Correct. about. Many annuities carry different uh, benefits, features, and guarantees mm-hmm. that may be um, desired by the individual investor. Okay. It may have a death benefit on it. It may have an income guarantee. It may have certain features associated with it right. that you're willing to purchase inside that IRA. Okay. All right. You're not necessarily doing it for the tax benefits in that case, but you're buying it for the features associated with it. Ah, yeah. And so because of that, sometimes you do see annuities in IRAs. Yeah, absolutely you do. And sometimes they may be applicable. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you see annuities outside of an IRA, Mm -hmm. meaning that you're purchasing it so that you can shelter some of those taxes. Again, another tax consideration for an investment to be made. And if if you're really savvy with this, even though Mm -hmm. money outside an IRA normally would be taxable Mm -hmm. and the gains on it from year to year would be taxable, if you know what you're doing, you you may be able to Mm -hmm. give it these nuances and these characteristics that are not taxable today. Sure. Uh, taxes are a big consideration mm-hmm. when we're making these decisions. 
We're going to continue this discussion about some of these thoughts we maybe have never thought of before from the Advisors Roundtable. Welcome to the Advisors Roundtable, Certified Financial Planners, Greg Cooley and Bubba Labus with you here on Super Talk, and we're talking about some of these conversations or some of these concepts that maybe have never hit home before. We've never heard it that way. Um, and uh, let's review what we talked about so far. Uh, you know, investments are fairly simple. You buy low, you sell high, but taxes are mm-hmm. complicated. We've also talked about you own a whole lot of investments, but you ain't diversified. Uh, we told people you can't have it when they said they wanted to have mm-hmm. 7 or 8% return without a whole lot of right. risk. Now, here's one that I'm going to say that it initially may seem in your face. But here's what I've had to say to people. Most of the time, your instincts are wrong. Mm-hmm. Am I right saying that? When it comes to the investment world, when it comes to what your instincts usually tell you when the stock market's going crazy up and you want some more, yeah. or it's going crazy down and you want out. Huh? I, so there's, there's a quote um, that, I'm, and I'm going to summarize here, um, that basically says that when people are greedy, you should be fearful. Mm-hmm. And when people are fear, fearful, and talking about the stock market here, you should be greedy. So we're talking about other people's instincts, right? Correct. You're watching them. Mm-hmm. You know, you've heard Bubba tell me, uh, watch your instincts. Yeah. You know, try mm-hmm. to see this as a business decision. Calm down. And I'm watching other mm-hmm. people. And other people are fearful. Other people are fearful that, you know, there's, uh, and I, I've said it before, there's, they've got this sense that there's blood in the streets and they're coming after me next, mm-hmm. right? And I've got to get out. I've got to do something immediately to, to shelter myself and protect and hunker down. But if I look back over the last hundred years, mm-hmm. when that happened, yep. when other people were fearful and there mm-hmm. was blood in the streets, in the long run, what would it have paid me to do? To, to be fully invested or to deploy more capital. So when they're fearful, I should be greedy. Correct. Now, on the converse of that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when people are greedy, uh, maybe you should become getting uh, or be a little bit more fearful. So when everybody at the coffee shop is uh-huh. talking about their 401k mm-hmm. and how it's made 20% this year, right. and I'm the world's greatest investor because I move mm-hmm. money around, and I yep. put all my money in my company stock, mm-hmm. and everything just seems to be hunky-dory, and I think I've got this figured out. Right. Maybe that's time to start lightening up. <laughs> yeah. And I, I can't tell you how many times we've seen it over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, And I, I, I relay the, the story of the individual who came into my office. It was around 2010 or 11 mm-hmm. and a decent year in the stock market. And, you know, they're saying, oh, you know, the, the market's great. Let's get more invested. And, and I said, wait, don't you remember just two years ago, mm-hmm. 2008 and 2009, when we had a 50% correction in the stock market? 50%? Yeah. We lived through that in our lifetimes. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. And when you ask them that question, don't you remember yeah. what it was like? What's the response? Well, their particular response was, oh, yeah, I forgot <laughs> about that. <laughs> you know, 
Maybe that's why you're here, Bubba. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there are two or three instincts that we see people having. Now, is it natural that they have these instincts? A- absolutely, uh, absolutely. Very natural and and uh, and very normal to have those instincts. And we've had our counselor on before mm-hmm. and talked to Cassandra about this, and she said, you know, one of the mm-hmm. most outstanding uh, senses. And instincts that you have is self-preservation and to be sure. defensive and to keep from hurting. Yep. Mm-hmm. So when you see something that's hurt you by 10%, it's gone down 10%. Right. And Bubba says, just hang in there. This is a long-term thing. And then you open it up again next month, and it's gone down 20%. And it's hurt you by 20%. Mm-hmm. What's the natural thing for me to do? I don't want oh, it to hurt yeah. me 30%. Correct. I want out. Mm-hmm. Right now, this may be a time for you to reevaluate, and maybe mm-hmm. a couple of things need to be uh, retooled, and maybe right. you need to, need to get out of some things and mm-hmm. whatever. But generally speaking, my instinct is to be defensive. Correct. And sometimes my instincts are wrong. I, I would say most of the time your instincts are wrong. The I would say most of the time the average investor's instincts are wrong. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty bold statement. Yeah, but the statistics seem to back you up. They do. Because when you look over 10-year, 20-year, 30-year time horizons yep. and you see certain funds or ETFs or stock markets that average... Well, uh, so a, a very good statistic, and I'm going to be off on these percentages, but right? really close. But pretty close here is the average equity mutual fund out there uh, has a, a you know an annualized rate of return of eight nine percent. Mm-hmm. The average equity investor, right? So the individuals who are buying those mutual funds has an average rate of return of somewhere around three and a half to four percent. Mm. About half, right? Well, why yeah. is that? Yeah, because they do the absolute wrong thing at the wrong time. Right. Yeah, and the wrong thing is mm-hmm. get out when it hurts. Yep. Get in a whole lot when it feels good. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when it's hurt, when it hurts is when it's cheaper. That's right. Yep. And a lot of times when it feels good is when it's high. And expensive. And expensive. Um, so instincts, big deal mm-hmm. to a whole lot of us. Uh, here's another one. The size of the disclosure is inversely related to the attractiveness of the investment. <laughs> I've not heard that one, but I like it. Huh? Yeah. Why do you like it? Um, I don't know. It seems like all disclosures are long, right? <laughs> um, yeah. There are a lot of investments that have come with a whole lot of disclosures. What yeah. What is that usually telling you? Uh, so um, I guess it relates to the complexity of the investment. Okay. All right. All right. So, uh, you know, if you go out and you purchase a, an individual stock, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, there are nuances associated with that. Mm-hmm. But if you uh, instead went out and purchased an annuity, right. right, right, there's a whole lot more disclosure associated with annuity because it's got a whole lot more moving parts. Uh, Same with a hedge fund, right? You go out and you buy a private equity fund or a hedge fund. There's going to be a whole lot more disclosure associated with that. Right. To make sure, number one, that you're qualified to purchase it. Number one. Okay. But number two, that you understand what you're buying. So. 
John Doe on the street that only has $100,000 to invest, a little mm-hmm. bit in his 401k and a little bit that he's saved up, he and his mm-hmm. wife are really hardworking people, a little bit that Grandpa left him, he's only got that amount. He probably doesn't need a whole lot of complexity in his life, does Correct. he? Correct. No, he right? doesn't. Most of the time, he, he needs something he can understand. Mm-hmm. He needs something he might be able to get into and out of pretty quickly. This yeah. is the only $100,000 he's got, right. Bubba. Right. But now if he's worth $100 hmm he might be able to stomach a little bit of co- uh, complexity. Um, and, and I would say that if you're worth $100 million, you've probably been dealing with complexity all your life. Okay. Or for a long period of time. Right. Right. He probably started mm-hmm. dealing with some complexity back when he was only worth $5 million Sure. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. And those things that you just talked about, the annuities and the hedge funds and stuff like that, those are pretty complex investments. Yes, they are. And you need to ask a whole lot of questions so that you fully Mm -hmm. understand them. So I go back to my quote, the size of the disclosure may be inversely related to the attractiveness of the investment Mm -hmm. for you. Correct. And if somebody comes at you with a hundred page disclosure document Mm -hmm. and you're not worth five, 10, 15, 20 million dollars. You may need to stop. Steer clear of it. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and I find sometimes people are taken advantage of. Correct. Which is unfortunate. Right. And they signed one of those disclosure mm-hmm. documents and didn't really understand that mm-hmm. they were getting into right. an account that's going to tie their money up for 15 years. Right. Mm-hmm. because somebody was a really good salesman and told them all of the positive things yeah. about what this po- particular investment may do, but didn't point and out none of the negatives, any of the yeah. negative. So I hope that during today's show, we threw out a few quotes that we have to use pretty often with our clients that will make you a little more uh, aware and a little more educated and a little more, um, ready for this investment world that you probably need to be involved in, but um, maybe uh, a little more prepared for. From the Advisors Roundtable on Super Talk Radio. Discussion and content expressed by the host of the Advisors Roundtable are intended to be received as news, educational, and entertainment or unit items and are not to be accepted by the listener as legal, investment, insurance, or tax advice. Opinions and views will be expressed by guests of the Advisors Roundtable, and those opinions and views are those of the guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Advisors Roundtable host or any of its affiliated radio stations. All information provided is educational in nature and is not intended to be acted upon without first consulting the 
appropriately licensed professional of your choosing. Before acting upon any information obtained during an advisor's roundtable broadcast, an individual should understand matters are extremely tax-specific and require advice tailored to individual facts and needs. Certified financial planners Greg Cooley and Andrew Labus are registered representatives of S.A. Stone Wealth Management Incorporated. Securities offered through S.A. Stone Wealth Management Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services offered through Ignite Planters, LLC. Ignite Planters, LLC is not affiliated with S.A. Stone Wealth Management Incorporated.